Welcome, listeners. Have you ever said the exact wrong thing? I'd like to hear your story. As we begin this episode, recall that feeling of the words escaping your mouth and not being able to take them back as you listen to the Dunker Punk theme song. I don't want to be rich. Don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat, don't want to be ignorant, don't want to be blindfolded, I just want to be countercultural. I don't want to be violent, don't want to have a vendetta, don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving, organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, I'm inspiration. I want to be like John Wesley or Sarah Major or Anna Mao. I want to be like Martin Luther or Martin Luther King Jr. Like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Berlin or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, Jesus Christ. But mostly, I just want to be me. I just want to be me. I am so glad you are listening. Today we are going to consider a passage of Scripture where Jesus says the wrong thing. Yes, that Jesus. Of course, I am in no position to judge Jesus. Obviously, the politically correct language that most of us try to abide by was not an issue for him. I'd like you to decide whether what he said was wrong or what he said was insensitive or what he said was just the way he had been raised, or will you decide? Here's Dana Casal back with an interview with Larry Hirschmeyer and a dive into a story about Jesus and a foreign woman. Hey, Dunker Punks. I am excited to be back with you today um, to bring you this really incredible interview I got to have with Lorie Hirschmeyer. Lorie um, is a total dunker punk. She grew up in Manassas, Virginia, 
in the Church of the Brethren there. She did BVS in Germany and lived there for a while. She worked for the denomination of the Church of the Brethren doing youth work, traveling around and sleeping on people's couches and hanging out with high schoolers all the time. And then she went and got her PhD and taught theology and Bible at Bethany Seminary for a while. And then after that at Colgate Rochester's uh, Divinity School. And I know Lurie because we've been in a writing group together for a few years, which is incredible. And now we are neighbors in Durham, North Carolina. So I knew that I wanted to interview her as part of this Dunker Punk series because she has these really interesting interpretations of scripture. And this conversation is about one of her interpretations from Matthew 15. And I'm just going to give you a little chance to read Matthew 15 verses 21 through 28 or listen to it. I'll read it for you. From there, Jesus went to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those territories came out and shouted, Show me mercy, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. But he didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and urged him, Send her away. She keeps shouting out after us. Jesus replied, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, It is not good to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. And right then, her daughter was healed. So Lurie and I don't really do many preliminaries in this interview. We were too excited to start talking about uh, that passage. And so we just jump right in. And she has a lot to say about boundaries and transgression and where blessing might show up when we cross the boundaries of behavior that are set before us in order to follow Jesus. So here you go, Lurie Hirschmeyer. Okay, so Lurie, today we're going to talk about your exegesis interpretation, thinking about, wondering on this story from Matthew 15. So to start, do you want to just give us a tiny summary of what the story is? This woman comes to Jesus and, and wants her daughter healed and uh, calls him Lord, son of David. Well, she's not even Jewish or Hebrew or anything, so her legacy doesn't give her any background out of which to say this. And it's pretty clear that this is not, she's crossed some kind of line. And the disciples are uncomfortable, and Jesus is uncomfortable, and he says, I was sent to save the children of Israel, or something like that. And uh, so she tones it down a little bit and uh, addresses him no longer as in a, with a messianic title, but also just as a gentleman of, of power and asks him once again to, to help her. And uh, this time he's, he's more rough hmm. um, and calls her a dog. Mm-hmm. You couldn't say something a whole lot nastier at that time. But she still doesn't back off. 
and she doesn't defend herself either. She takes the ugly metaphor and turns its meaning and says, well, yeah, but you know, the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And all of a sudden, the atmosphere and the tent and the flavor of the conversation changes. Jesus says, wow, woman, it's pretty great faith you've got. Your daughter's going to be fine. And I thought, now this is interesting because I know I've heard that story interpreted in ways that do not accept the fact that Jesus said something so ugly. Mm. The interpretations tend to want to make Jesus perfect because I think that's sort of how we brought up. If Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is fully human and fully divine and all that kind of stuff, then Jesus doesn't do anything that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly is wrong to call somebody a bad name, so something else must have happened. It couldn't be that this is really uh, what's happened. So is this, this is where you think most interpreters have such difficulty because Jesus clearly called the woman a dog and most people come to the text with the assumption that Jesus is perfect. Is perfect. Yes. So Jesus could not have actually insulted this woman. That's right. Jesus is divine. Jesus is perfect. And what I've done when I say that, I have projected my understanding of perfection onto Jesus. And by George, if he doesn't live up to it, something's wrong with the text or something's wrong with the interpretation. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe that is what Jesus did. Maybe that is what Jesus said. Well, now, what do I do with that if I say, this is really, that's the way the story happened. Now, I don't mean historically. I don't know what happened historically. I'm not really all that interested in what happened historically. That's probably, that's probably worse than saying Jesus is not divine. <clears throat> but what I am interested in is how come the change? What happened here that all of a sudden two people who were facing off at one level, she wanting something, he wanting nothing to do with her, something that's desired, that all of a sudden things change. And it seems to me that in that moment, and Matthew was good at this, hmm. Matthew is really good at what I think of as blessed transgressions. Huh. Say that, that phrase again. Blessed transgressions. Blessed transgressions. It's, it's, the transgression has to do with what is appropriate in my culture, in my liturgy, in my worship, in my whatever it is that I've been trained to understand and believe and accept and, and has been mostly good in my life. Maybe altogether good in my awareness of my life. But then all of a sudden... Matthew keeps picking out these stories from places where people transgressed. And what was the result of the transgression in those stories? The result is that blessing happens. Mm -hmm. New life is possible. So this, so this story is in the Gospel of Matthew, <clears throat> which is. starts with a genealogy of Jesus <laughs> that includes all kinds of transgressors. That's right. right? Yeah, there are four women who are Jesus, <clears throat> are Jesus' forebears. Well, that's sort of odd in a country. Yeah. Well, not in a country, but in a, when, you, when you trace the lineage through the male, the proper prior male, alpha male, that's the word, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, four women turn up. That's, that's weird enough. Mm -hmm. But what's even more weird is that most of them are A, not Hebrew, mm -hmm. B, they are looked upon as transgressors in some form or another. Mm -hmm. 
whether it was done to them or whether they did it themselves. Uh, and then they all are spoken of as the not only the forebears of uh, David, but therefore also of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing turns up with Mary and Joseph, for heaven's sake. Yeah. So, so Matthew is really good at saying transgression can be a blessed event, but nothing in my upbringing lets me have any idea of what that would look like or what that would mean. Because transgression usually tells me if you step outside of this kind of behavior or this kind of understanding or this kind of something, then that's bad mm-hmm. or it's wrong or it's something, but it's not good. And this is this is sort of how all humans grow up, right? Like it's part of how we learn to be in the world. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I mean, what we, what we, it's like, you know, don't cross the street, honey, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a transgression to cross the street. Why? Because it is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And at some point we remove those barriers and teach the kid to look right and left and all that kind of stuff. Well, transgression simply means initially it's set up as a way of protecting. And everything we take for granted usually in our in our culture in our religion in our politics in anything we have a boundary around us within that boundary it's okay outside of that boundary it's at least dangerous mm-hmm. or weird or in some way unacceptable mm-hmm. so this so transgressing a boundary just to back up a little bit so boundaries are important they're not bad necessarily we can't live without them right. any more than the body can live without skin yeah they're necessary they are necessary and yet you read matthew and this story in particular and a lot of other things i know <laughs> as yeah. that transgression of boundaries includes blessing or leads to can. blessing can lead to blessing yeah, and that raises the question in a funny kind of way. What's the difference between good and right and righteous? Hmm. Now, you could add some other words in there. But good, it seems to me, has a lot to do with the flavor of what I've brought up to see as the boundary within which I live well. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, there's a way to be a good brethren person. Absolutely. When I was growing up, it meant a covering on your head. And a bunch of stuff like that. Well, it doesn't mean that anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, it does for some, but not for most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it, it's it's within a particular defined group. Yeah. How is that different from being right or righteous? Right is a is a. It, it really has to do with what's internalized. I think of. For instance, we we fight, uh, both legally and morally in our culture over right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And the boundaries within which that is right or wrong, those boundaries change. That's why we can fight over it. Yeah. We have to polarize to fight. And right and wrong assumes a polarization. And it's not just it's not just good. There's a flavor sometimes of legality, but definitely of power mm-hmm. in that. And righteous, that's where Matthew intrigues me so much. Matthew says, well, you know, all these boundaries make sense within their context. But if the one God who creates the whole world and blesses and loves the whole world 
What's righteous in relation to God? Well, not these boundaries. Mm -hmm. Because if we believe that God, the creator, is infinite, right? All present, at least. All present, Mm -hmm. then boundaries just don't make sense. Well, they make sense for my daily life. Uh Uh-huh. But transgressing them is not a question of my daily life. It's a transgression of something bigger. Uh-huh. And I, I find that absolutely intriguing and very, what's the right word, complexifying? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly doesn't make things easy. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, and, and that's why I like Matthew so much. He is willing to keep on bringing these stories without giving up the question of, okay, if transgression is on behalf of the relationship to the universal God, then how do all these boundaries matter? Well, they do matter. I mean, it did matter when Mary and Joseph did whatever they did or didn't do. Mm-hmm. The fact that Joseph stood by Mary meant that he had to assume the responsibility of having put himself in a situation where he was going to be looked down upon just like she was. Mm-hmm. It was it was not a nice thing. I mean, when I grew up, divorce was not a nice thing. It didn't happen. Well, it does now, but it didn't then. Mm-hmm. And, and I bet some of those women who were the first to stop wearing the coverings encountered a lot of boundary resistance. I think some, I think some parts of the Church of the Brethren we still make. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that. But things move at their own pace, mm-hmm. or maybe it's not... Anyhow, they move in unpredictable ways. Yeah. So let's go, let's talk more about Jesus and boundaries. Oh. <laughs> so if all of us exist just as people, that we grow up with boundaries that help us know how to be in the world, you, your interpretation of this passage of scripture is that that's part of Jesus as being human. Yes. That Jesus also grew up in a world where there were boundaries because that's how... People know how to be people. That's right. Yes, and and where and where there were certain boundaries which with that were, it was not appropriate to transgress. In this particular story, he was a guest because they were was it Can- she's Canaanite woman I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was in the land of Canaan. So he was a guest there, and she was a person who should not approach a man of a different group. So both of them. That that encounter was not really appropriate mm-hmm. for either one of them. And they both knew, right? They both Presumably, knew yes. that it was, I mean, Jesus would have known that he was in a different place with yes. different people. And the woman would have known that she was not supposed to approach a strange man. And for her, her to do that and call him by a messianic name, clearly she had a bunch of knowledge that she was connecting to her own need mm-hmm. that her daughter be healed. And uh, from the disciples' response, which was more or less, let's get out of here, buddy, (laughs) to Jesus, it's clear that everybody was clear that something was going on here, which was not kosher. It's really fascinating to me, because we're talking about boundaries and transgressing them, that it was the woman who did that first. Yes. I mean, we're really interested in Jesus, and the the commentators Mm want to know which part is wrong if he actually insulted someone. But actually, this woman who doesn't have a name is the boundary transgressor. Yes. She approaches Jesus. Yes. And insists. I mean, she keeps coming back. She does not give up. And every time he puts her down with a new insult, she doesn't take it personally. She sticks with her desire. 
and she continues to assume that he can be helpful. Do you think there's, is there something in her behavior that is a key to at least Matthew's idea of righteousness? I mean, she's clearly transgressing a boundary, but she's motivated by a really particular thing, right? I could, I could project something, but I yeah. don't really know, of course. My, my sense is that the fact that she does not become self-defensive and that she's doing what she's doing on behalf of an ill daughter mm-hmm. that, whom she loves, um, that those are important mm-hmm. data, pieces of data. Because she's not aggressive, she's not defensive, she finds a way to respond to Jesus halfway on Jesus' terms and halfway on her own. Yeah. I mean, she won't give up her insistence that she will talk with him, even though he won't talk back very nicely. But she also doesn't put up fences, doesn't put up barriers. And that switch at the end when she says, yeah, but... But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table. Boy, that's really incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I were, if I as a woman were put down by a man and I recognized that as a fem- feminist slur against me, mm-hmm. it would take some pretty big spiritual something or the other for me to use whatever the put down was and offer it back as an acceptance of the words without accepting the put-down. Mm-hmm. That's that's really cool stuff. Yeah. And to me, that's where the story has a breakthrough of the divine. It seems to me at that point, something happens. What happens? I don't know. I mean, shoot, what used to happen when I was in camp? Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I just couldn't wait until this, that, or the other happened. And it wasn't always the same, but there were moments that were, I don't still don't find a better word, blessed, mm-hmm. that were wonderful. They were moments. And what, we, what did we do? We went back to the place and did the thing where we had experienced those moments in the hope that they would happen again. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was a moment. This was a moment where if I were to look for anything in that story where I would say the divine made itself present between them and their hearts opened up to each other and what did they find in those hearts the divine god didn't prove anything it maybe didn't change their external life i don't know what it did what it did though was bring jesus to say wow that's great faith Mm -hmm. well you can interpret that a lot of ways too but at the very least, there was an interaction between the two um, <laughs> that was important enough that Matthew could let the story rest then. Yeah, we have no idea <clears throat> what happens. That, right? That's exactly right. We don't get a we don't get a doxology out of it. We don't get a we don't get anything in terms of practice out of that. We have a lot of dynamics. We have a lot of interaction. We have we have a lot of ordinary life treated in an extraordinary way, mm-hmm. but not initially by Jesus. Jesus, right. Jesus' initial responses are not so cool. So I 
am a conclusion drawer and I want to wrap <laughs> things up neatly. And you, you don't think that way necessarily all the no, time. No, I don't think that way very well. <laughs> <laughs> but what, for you, what does this story tell us about Jesus? Well, first of all, that Jesus has some, that as different as Jesus is, so that people could say, this is the Son of God. This is the Savior. As different as Jesus was in that allowed appropriately for those words to be experienced and spoken, Jesus is also a person who was bound by the culture in which he grew up. And it showed. Mm-hmm. But he didn't get stuck there. Mm-hmm. Thanks to a Canaanite woman right. <laughs> who had a real big need, and she wouldn't let go of it, and she wouldn't get angry because of it. Yeah. So, Jesus, I, this is the part that fascinates me, that Jesus is humanity because Jesus is fully divine and fully human, that to be human is not just to have eyebrows and toenails. That's right. But it also involves this growing up in boundaries and that sometimes that gets expressed in prejudice. Always. Yeah. I don't think it's possible to grow up in any community, anywhere, under any circumstances, without internalizing what's normal. Now, I may hate what's normal, mm-hmm. but I still will internalize it, and it'll show up. And yeah, it's, that means that in terms of a global or universal context, it's prejudice. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't make it evil. It makes it painful. It makes it problematic. If I try to make my prejudice good... Then it may be closer to evil, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but in itself, it's not evil. In itself, it simply says, "This is where I find safety." Yeah, this is what I have learned. This is where I'm at home, and keep out mm-hmm. because I want to stay safe. That's right. It's exactly right. But there's also so if, if I want to be a Christian who strives to be like Jesus, I find in the story a handhold. Because I know I'm prejudiced. Like, I I exhibit that all the time. And I'm more and more aware of it in myself. Although it takes work, I think. Because it's... I mean, you have to transgress your own boundaries to be aware where the boundaries are, in some sense. Yep. But in this story, Jesus does that. And he gets called out of his boundary by a woman in need, very different from him. <clears throat> and so I I like this story because... Even Jesus needed to get called out, yes. right? Like even Jesus's prejudice, he wasn't aware of it totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had to be in conversation and interaction with someone else very different from him before he had the opportunity to be a part of that yes. moment of divine blessedness. And had she not pressed her case, there is no reason he would have become aware of it. Mm-hmm. Because he would have just left like the disciples wanted him to and gone on about his own business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on the one hand, I agree. I, I think I think this is a great story about, I mean, the, the Christian confession, confession about Jesus being fully human and fully divine. I guess I like to see it in this story that both of them tasted that. Mm. That Jesus' full humanity included what we think of as prejudice. Because that's the way humans are. And that... That moment between the two of them makes it clear that, to say it with the with the Quakers, that of God is in present in everyone. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, she was also experiencing, tasting the fully divine. Now, she couldn't hold on to it. Nobody ever can. 
unless somebody wants to say, well, what about Jesus? Couldn't he hold on to? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's where the whole question of what, what is a spiritual practice? I don't have an answer to that in terms of a, a recipe. I do think that they're as different as people. Like, like for instance, you like to be an activist. Hmm. I don't. So my spiritual practice in terms, in daily terms, is going to look different from yours. Mm -hmm. Does that make it better? No. Does it make it worse? No. What does it make it? It raises the question of whether my spiritual practice serves me as a member of Jesus' body. Well, what the heck does that mean? I mean, there, there's a whole other place for us to go. But what it means at the very least is that if I understand myself to be one who wants to, who is, who seeks to live in this world as an expression of the kind of love that I believe I have experienced and understand God to be, then what helps me get there? And some of these stories help me. Mm -hmm. So if we were to think about this story and not talk about practices, because each of us do that differently, but the dynamic of following Jesus, what do we learn from this story about how we are to be? I don't know. I guess what I could learn from the woman is that when they're, when I'm deeply moved by something on behalf of another person or cause, I should take it seriously. Hmm. Um, and what I learned from Jesus is not to, to be not altogether over careful about my response when other people approach me. Say some more about that. Go ahead and let go ahead and let it hang out that I'm mm -hmm. irritated, that I don't know what to do with this. Now the chances are, if the person who approaches me is not like the woman, that conversation is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> but if they are like the woman, we may get somewhere. Now maybe there are other options too. Like for instance, possibly I could ask her what she means. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. I mean, there are other options besides just the two that Jesus and the woman did, but. Yeah, I think I think I can learn something from each of them, mm -hmm. and I and I don't apply it too well, because in my daily life, if I get pissed, my inclination is to either go away, or change the subject, or do something else where I don't have to follow it. Mm -hmm. I really don't care to follow it. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus let it all hang out. He did. Yeah, and and she didn't give up on what what mattered. Yeah, there's some. Uh... Yeah, tenacity. Yes. And also authenticity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is a part of being fully human, mm. which is sort of irritating sometimes because I sort of want people to smooth it down. <laughs> <laughs> Just make let's all get along That's and right. everything be fine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, Jesus didn't do that. Huh? <laughs> or fortunately. Or fortunately. <laughs> well, thanks, Lori. Thanks for being part of the Dunker Punks podcast. Any other message you want to leave to the Dunker Punks? No, I'm sort of glad they're out there, though. Or we're out there. I'm not sure where I belong Yeah, anymore. you're a Dunker Punk. You count. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you.
what did you think? I wonder what kind of a tweeter Jesus would have been. I guess it wouldn't have been all Beatitudes. I have always liked this Bible story. Jesus was raised in a good Jewish household of the early first century, and so it is conceivable that a Jewish man of his day would have had some prejudice against the people of surrounding localities who had in the past been enemies of Israel. We have to know ancient geography and Israel's history to get all the implications, and we don't need to know all that to hear the insult. You also may know that in his day, as in some places today, a woman approaching a man and speaking first was highly unusual. This was one brave and gutsy woman. But the part I like best is, Jesus is persuaded. We might even say he changed his mind, at least about her. And I love that she is such a clever wordsmith, like a good improv performer who takes the words of the audience and manipulates them into a laugh, she takes his insult, it's not good to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs, and turns it into a way for her to get what she wants, what she needs for her daughter. I'm one of those people who rarely have the clever thing to say until about a half hour after I needed it. I love that she has a comeback and stays respectful. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Wow. So what does that tell us? Like Dana indicated, one thing might be we can realize it's okay if our words are not perfect or we say the wrong thing. It's an open mind that we need. Larisse said, But Jesus let it all hang out. He did. Yeah. And, and she didn't give up on what, what mattered. Jesus' transformation here is not so different from his transformation in other parts of the story. And his willingness to heal the child of a foreigner might be the foreshadowing of the Christian mission that eventually moves beyond the Jews who accepted Jesus to the Gentiles. Gentiles merely means people from other nations. There are so many great layers to a story like this. And there are many great layers to your story too, Dunkerpunks. I'm sure of it. So no matter if you have ever said the wrong thing, or been the person who blocked another's path, there is a way forward for us. Us, yes, I've been that person who blocked another's path because I had yet to be transformed beyond my prejudice. When we follow Jesus, we follow the human one who embodied the holy, the human one who allowed himself to be transformed in all ways until people literally saw God in him. That's the one we need to follow, and that's the Holy Spirit we need to do the transforming in us. The challenge this week is find your Canaanite woman. Find the person whom you see as less than yourself. Find him or her. Decide why you feel that way. Is it obvious because of their race? Is it something you were taught to believe? Or is it an ideology that they hold which makes them so different from yourself? Whatever it is, allow yourself to be transformed. Try talking to them. I am not suggesting you begin by calling them a dog. That's something Jesus could get away with, but not me. 
do try to bridge the divide with a conversation. Even if no miracle occurs right away, pray for the openness to be transformed so that you can see them as a child of God. Will you pray with me? God, walk with us. Open our eyes to see our blindness and prejudice. Then help us cross the bridge of relationship and be transformed by your healing power. Bless these dunker punks who listen and strive to follow the Jesus way. Amen. Go and be a radical Christian, inspired by the human one, to love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you for being a faithful listener. The Dunker Punks podcast is a collaboration of a dozen young adults who contribute audio content to challenge and inspire others who follow Jesus. I'm Nancy Fitzgerald, pastor of the Arlington Church of the Brethren, who hosts our show at arlingtoncob.org slash dpp. Suzanne Lay is our producer. Jacob Krauss wrote and performed the original music and edited the audio this week. The Dunker Punks podcast posts two times per month, and you can follow us on social media at Dunker Punks Pod. Laura Weimer is back with an interview in the next episode from a local place of sanctuary for victims of domestic violence. (laughs) 